Good morning, everybody. We're back. It's the first part of April of 2021. It's the Easter season. That would be bunnies and chickens. And and um, I think that would also be um, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rolling back the stone this morning. This is Easter. And uh, off he went. Uh, that was after he was being uh, had been crucified and, and um, tortured and so forth by the Romans as the king of the Jews, and uh, they were scared of him. And, of course, there's some question about whether or not that took place over a period of days and hours or whether it took place over a period of months and years. There's ample evidence to support that Christ was a little bit like Nelson Mandela or Che Guevara and that he was uh, making the Romans angry with him over a period of time. And finally, when he got to be a big enough threat, they got rid of him. That's probably more realistic than the biblical version that we read, but that's really not the important part. The important part is that we look at the example. Now, whether or not he rolled the stone back from the tomb or his, his uh, grave there and, and uh, took off on Easter Sunday morning, that's up for grabs as well. I'm not sure how that came down. There is um, adequate support that there are near-death experiences. He may have had one of those in, in the world. There's, there's about 440 near-death experiences just in the United States um, every day, actually. I think that's uh, pure research came up with that number. So there's a, And I think most of those people are coming out of anesthesia. Now, now, Christ did not come out of anesthesia, of course. He came out of a spear jab to the heart and... Um, packing that cross up the hill to Gethsemane and then being nailed to it for a while. So that's that's not a near-death experience. That would be a death experience, in fact. And then, but he came back. At least that's what the, that's what, that's what history suggests, is that he came back. There are people that are not Christians or non-believers, of course, uh, poo-poo those stories. And I, I understand that. But I don't think anybody's story is any better than anybody else's. I mean, I was standing on the banks of Moses Lake one time on a large transaction that had to do with NASCAR and uh, <clears throat> a large land transaction. And there were the involved people in this case. Some of the principal players were members of the uh, of, of an Indian nation. That would be the Colville, the Confederated Tribes of the Colville Reservation. They revere coyotes as being uh, special and, and mystical. And right in the middle of the transaction that we were trying to figure out, a coyote, and I think this is on one of my previous podcasts, a coyote walked by and he's standing right in the middle of what, they, what we thought was a spirit circle, right in the middle of where the NASCAR track was supposed to be. And that was the end of that deal. <laughs> the coyote did not like the deal and therefore noted, neither did we. <laughs> So, you know, if I look out my window in the studio and look at birds nesting in the trees and decide if I have some kind of superposition in quantum mechanics with the birds, that's as valid, I think, as the coyote cutting back the um, NASCAR deal and saying, I'm not going to build a track here, pal, or Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rolling back a stone and taking off to heaven on Easter morning, whether or not he was persecuted over a period of days and hours or months or years. Who knows and who cares?
There's a lot of stories out there that are hard to figure out. You know, like the ark. How about Noah's ark? I mean, how many animals got in Noah's ark? It's supposed to be a pair, a mating pair, so that we could repopulate the earth. And then there's a guy somewhere in the Midwest who actually built an ark, a, a replica, he says, of the ark. And he's got it populated with um, mock-ups of animals and some real ones hanging around here and there. And so uh, we can see how that worked. Now, I come from a marine background originally. And uh, in fact, I belong to the uh, Society of Naval Architects and Marine Engineers, uh, which is a part of my past life. The, uh, the top hamper on the arc is a little high and the tunnies doesn't work out too well. I don't think that the ark really did come up with mating pairs for the population of the earth. It just doesn't make sense. The guy could have took off with a small boat and some goats and some things, but he did not come up with mating pairs off the planet. But depends on how you want to believe the story, I guess. You know? And I'm even though I'm I'm being a little caustic about some of this stuff, I'm also not saying not to pay attention to it because myth and stories and the codices that records them are how we get through life on this planet. And until Elon Musk stops blowing up rockets on the pad, I suppose we're going to be here for a while. As soon as he stops doing that, we may go off to someplace else. And i got to give the guy credit. He's got to have the balls of a brass monkey, man. He is working hard, and he keeps one. If you ever want to have a, an exercise in failure, just watch this guy blow up rockets. I don't know what it's costing him by the hour, but wow. Impressive. Of course, the rover that's on Mars right now is equally impressive. Luckily, that didn't blow up on the stand. Yeah, Musk gets my vote, man. That guy's got... That guy's got who's spar, whatever they call that. Um, Gonzaga, this week, in a, in a bell buzzer, manages to make a final shot at the end of an overtime. So I got to give it to the Zags. That kind of stuff is wonderful. That would be like saying that during the NASCAR deal, that the coyote showed up in the middle of the spirit circle and we all stopped the deal and then the coyote changed his mind and walked away. <laughs> yeah, good for the Zags. That's what I mean. I don't have a lot of positioning in my thing for Spokane, Washington, but Gonzaga, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's um, and it will be undefeated for if those guys win, which is going to be remarkable. When I was a kid, um, in a, in a lesser I guess uh, posture. I was on the um, I was on the speech and debate team in extemporaneous for Loyola High School in Missoula, Montana, and we finally ended up uh, our speech and debate team figuratively ended up in front of Congress for the most consecutive wins in the history of high school debate. And it makes you feel good, you know, when you're part of a team that just wins and wins and wins, and it's very difficult to lose. And I think that Gonzaga is probably up against that firewall right now. I mean, what's a loss going to look like? If you can sprinkle a few wins and losses into a season, you kind of are part of the crowd. But these guys, these guys uh, are at the apex and staying there. And so the come down is going to be difficult. And it'll happen. I just don't want it to happen 
at the championship game because they are from Washington State after all. It's a funny thing about March Madness. Um, a fellow, a friend of mine, um, owns the um, the algorithm for ESPN for the bracketing. A uh, very smart guy went to Caltech, and um, these guys developed for ESPN the algorithm that figures out what the bracketing is going to be for March Madness. That's a big deal. I'm proud to know this guy. He's from San Francisco. I'm not going to mention his name because someone will try and probably uh, get some um, betting out of him. But um, smart guy. Knows his stuff. Friend of mine. Now, in a whole other matter, in um, the springtime of 2021, we've decided collectively to start to look at some uh, federal grants and grant opportunities where we can put together collaborations and uh, decide to do more for the public good as a ad hoc byproduct for the Tension Podcast. In other words, we know stuff, we know people, and maybe we can, um, with some help of some collaboration, get some, some grants uh, money together to help fund some of the projects that we like, which have to do with alternative realities, uh, uh, the, um, the whole quantum mechanics part of phenomenology, and near-death experience which is now being championed by the University of Virginia. And we're going to be talking to that group as well about some of these matters. However, we're not in this group, although we have a great deal of education, we've never gone after grant money before. And so it was kind of a new thing. And we started to read up about federal and state and private grants. And we found out there's a lot of them. We also found out that they're very specific about what they want. And we found out that that uh, you you cannot, and keep this in mind, you cannot come up with a good idea that you know will fly and take it into the Fed, if that be the case, and tell them, here's a great idea, I think you ought to go with this, and have them make any sense out of it. You will not make it past the garbage can, if that's your approach. That's the beauty of the private sector, and that is the beauty of a market economy. Because in a market economy, thank God, assuming God exists, you can come up with a good idea, walk into a captain of industry and say, you know, here's an idea, what do you think? And if the person likes it, they take it forward. But in the grant business, I don't care how good the idea might be, there's a compliance area that has to be met and is so specific that it takes the, it almost takes your breath away about how specific it has to be. And because of that, the ideas tend to die. In other words, the good, spontaneous, bright ideas tend to not go there. What does go there is, is legions of people trying to suck off the public tit with compliance just plain old compliance. We need to figure out a way to find that arc and bifurcate it some way so that good ideas don't die under the wet blanket of process. And of course, bad ideas require a good deal of, a good deal of scrutiny. I get that. But holy smokes, you know, somewhere some middle ground here got to be. So now, as far as where we are really going at the Tension Podcast, 
I think we're going to start to focus on where we have our strength. And that has to do with alternative reality, near-death experience, phenomenology, and things like that. I mean, I wrote a PhD about that stuff, and so at least I'm interested in it. And I think a lot of people are interested in where they're going because, because uh, we, here we are on Earth, but, you know, we're going to go someplace else eventually. The whole thing is, where are we going? Where is that place? Where is that alternative reality? Where is that multiple universe thing? Where is, where is physics taking us? Where is religion taking us? Where are we going? And because there are some opportunities in grant writing for the ethereal and maybe operating in the fourth dimension, I'm picking up a copy of Grant Writing for Dummies, which is uh, actually the sixth edition of Learning Made Easy, How to Rammy Cackle Your Way into the Federal Financial Structure So They Will Send You Money. Now, there's a lot of horror stories out there about people that agree to provide sandwiches to hurricane victims and cannot figure out how to slice a loaf of bread. And I suppose that's one of the fallbacks that we have when we're dealing with the Federal Register. However, I think that there's room for some expanding research in the area of alternate realities. And I'm going to call that, for example, here's, a, here's an example. Let's talk about student mental health during the pandemic, which is kind of is trendy these days. We, we did a uh, a big research project one time on, on gifted students and the idiosyncrasies of gifted students. I'm reading nowadays that, that there is a good deal of depression among students who are unable to go to school in their traditional format. And the parents are complaining. Of course, everyone is scared, and that all makes sense to me. But this is what doesn't make sense from a cultural standpoint to me. We've had a great deal of influence recently or in recent years for STEM. That would be the, the focus on science and those disciplines that cause our students to be able to graduate post-secondary and get jobs in those, those industries where we have obviously uh, quantifiable progress. Work for big companies as STEM graduates for the sciences and mechanics and engineering, things like that. It's that same group of people that appear to be getting depressed because they can't go to school. And I think, in my opinion, one of the reasons they're upside down, those students, be they gifted or otherwise, is that they, they focus on Einstein and not Socrates. And there was a time when the split between science and philosophy was equal. And if you weren't knocking them dead in science, you could start to think about philosophy and think about some alternatives, some alternative realities to what the problem is. And people that can't make that transition don't do well. Probably the best example that comes to mind right now is Kurt Gödel, who was the, uh, Gödel was the um, mathematician from Princeton who, who Einstein himself figurative, figuratively fell in love with because he was so smart. He came up with the incomplete theorem that had to do with the fact that, that you cannot come up with final answers in mathematics, and that drove him nuts. Here's a guy who's living in an alternative reality in his mind, an alternative enough of a reality that he's institutionalizing himself because he thinks he's going crazy, because he cannot justify the incompleteness of mathematics. And he cannot walk, and he cannot walk between both of those disciplines for some reason. 
Einstein was in love with him, walked with him to work at Princeton. In fact, Einstein went back, stayed at Princeton as a professor for the sole purpose of walking to work with Gödel in the morning. Now, that's a heavy deal. And yet the very guy that he thought was so impressive managed to off himself because he could not come up with a rationale between the incompleteness of mathematics and the alternate realities he was living in because of that confusion. He wasn't able to make it back and forth. He was like the ultimate STEM student who never did pay any attention to philosophy, who couldn't sit down and say, oh, bullshit, you know, let's take a break here. Let's think about something besides the absolute of how my life is going. Life is not an algorithm. The universe, even though some people say it is, is not necessarily based on mathematics. We invented mathematics to try and explain it to ourselves doesn't mean the universe has a clue about mathematics. John Lacasse is a writer and public scholar whose research on transcendental teaching styles, quantum mechanics, and the nature of consciousness are available on Amazon Books, ProQuest Academic Libraries, and the Library of Congress. Tension is an overview of personal stories and recollections of lived experiences by ordinary people of extraordinary capacity. This podcast holds sway against the guise of middlebrow academic correctness. Tension Podcast is the counterpoint for smart people who understand the nature of conflict as they dance with opinion and deviate from convention.